Hello, and welcome to Adventurous Polyamory, the podcast where we rip off the shrink wrap and get into the messy reality of our lifestyle. I'm Rachel Barth, your hostess with the mostest, and I'm here to open up a big old can of truth and honesty about the joys and pitfalls of polyamory. I want to let you know that coming up in about three months in December, I will be launching my Patreon, which will also be called Adventurous Polyamory. I will use that space to talk about things that are too spicy for public discourse. And by that, I mean sexy things and kinky things, as well as even more extremely personal things. All right, with that out of the way, moving on, let's talk about money. Numerous thinkers have pointed towards the issue of privilege in polyamory. And this is a big topic with multiple entry points. Some people can get away with flouting convention and not fear the consequences. This is privilege. Some people have a nesting partner who supports them in their journey. This is privilege. Some people come from a liberal enough background that their family of origin accepts their lifestyle choices. This is a massive privilege. So there's issues of class, of relative wealth, of race, of gender, maybe even age, even geographic location. And I'm going to just admit up front that I'm not the best person to talk about privilege because I have a lot of it myself. I have a funny and sad memory of driving somewhere with my daughter. I think we were coming home from the bus stop. She must have been in middle school. I can't recall exactly. We got to talking about white privilege, something we both do have, even though, objectively speaking, we're both Asian. White privilege was a new concept to her then, and she got really upset at the discovery that she was personally participating in this oppressive system, and worse yet, she couldn't even quit out of it. She burst into tears, and I felt terrible too. And I still feel the same way. I know I'm continually benefiting from white privilege, female privilege, class privilege. Plus, I am able to support myself. I have insurance. I have a car. I have a lot of privilege. So when I approach this sort of topic, even tangentially, I know it's very possible I will say something idiotic. I hope I'll be all right today anyway. Please do call me out if I go wrong. All right. After all that, I'm ready to go on. Today, I want to zero in on just one little problem aspect in dating, which is the element of money. Having money to spend on dating, particularly in polyamorous dating, is a form of privilege, of course. Some folks have lots of it, and many others do not. What's the thing we often say? Love is infinite, but time and resources are not. So I wanted to simply talk about ways to go on dates and spend romantic time together that don't cost a bunch. I have tried to come up with several options that are flat out free and then added on fancier options that might cost a little bit of money since sometimes we have a couple of bucks to spend and other times we have got those last dollar blues. In the free category, we actually have some serious winners. Hikes 
and strolls are typically free. If you have transportation, you can take your date over to a local park of some sort. Here in the Maryland area, Great Falls is a good option. Since it has hikes ranging from very strenuous down to just plain old walking on a nice flat paved path, the flat path is even handicap accessible, I think. You can admire your date's legs and booty while you walk, or better yet, allow them and encourage them to admire yours. Maybe if the stars really align, you can catch them if they stumble a little bit, and then boom, you get to embrace them for a moment while you look like a helpful and supportive person. Pro tip. Do not lie about your relative level of fitness. My metamor, the Amazon, loves to hike, and she easily and rapidly disposes of guys who claim they like to hike but are lying about it because by mile three, they're falling to pieces. If you are a sauntering sort of hiker, just be honest about it and don't try to pretend you're a a 20-mile-a-day guy. John is in no way a real hiker, but he never tried to fake it, and so he got to go on dating the Amazon. I knew she was serious about him when she showed up with tickets for the Tedeschi Trucks Band. That's not a cheap date, but it's definitely a real sign of growing affection. Anyway, back to the cheap dates. Most towns also have a botanical garden or a nature preserve of some sort. They might even let you pack in some sandwiches. If you want to add extra romance, pack some dessert along with those sandwiches. You know people do love some chocolate. One thing I really like about this kind of date is not only is it free, it's also totally gender neutral. Any type of person can plan a nice stroll around a local pond. Any type of person can pack a lunch. All it'll cost you is your precious time, which is the true gift here. Actually, here's another pro tip. Most people really love it if you make food for them. Some people don't know how to cook, and so they truly enjoy a scratch-made meal. But people who do know how to cook, especially people who cook for their families or for children a lot, will really, truly appreciate the meal you make for them because they know what labor went into it, and they can rest and enjoy it and feel pampered. Even a simple peanut butter and jelly sandwich is delicious as heck when I didn't have to think about it, make it, or clean up after it. You can win a lot of points with your date, whether they are a new person or a long-term partner, if you organize the food. The first year John and I were dating, we spent a long weekend at his place. After a lot of sexy canoodling, I was exhausted and took a nap. When I woke up, he had made lamb stew, and it was amazingly delicious. I ate it dressed in my bathrobe, and I felt so loved and cared for. That moment truly shines in my memory, even now, years later. So yeah, take it from me. Make food for your sweetie. Another thing that's really good about the stroll and picnic date is it can take all day if you want. There's no time limit whatsoever. If you really pick your location with foresight, you might even be able to find a secluded spot where you could steal a kiss or two. Leave the bustle of the world behind for a few beautiful hours and just be together in the great outdoors. It's a terrific date, which I do highly recommend even if your mattress is stuffed with Benjamins. Having money is nice for sure, 
but nothing can replace the gift of your undivided attention and time. In that same category of free outdoor things, we have a lot of free outdoor concerts in most cities. The quality of the music may vary, but the pleasure of relaxing on a blanket with your sweetie just can't be beat. Even the fanciest venues will sometimes have free events. The Kennedy Center here in D.C. had free dance events this summer, I believe. Since you aren't going on a long walk this time, you could even pack some wine along with your meals. If your sweetie is musical or maybe just has a lot of stress to let out, you might try taking them to a drum circle. These will almost always be free and outside. If you don't have a drum, they usually have a few spares. I got a pretty great drum at the thrift store for $6, though. You can often find hand drums at the thrift store. It's almost like somebody's family is trying to get rid of them. <laughs> uh, you might be able to find a jam session or a sing-along of some kind. My local music shop has jam sessions for different instruments on different days. If you don't have an instrument, they do let you use theirs. If you are the sort of person who organizes things, I highly recommend organizing a regular musical jam or drum circle. These things are incredibly fun and a terrific way to meet people. Although, come to think about it, the thrift store itself makes a very fine cheap date venue. When John and I have gone through periods of involuntary underemployment, we would go to the thrift store all the time. It's a fun time. You get to wander slowly through the aisles together, leaning against each other as you examine fabulous 1970s leather jackets and laughing at what used to pass for sexy. You can show yourselves in fascinating new ways, trying on outfits you would never wear ordinarily, but for $3.99, why the heck not? You can plan a future party as you look at the housewares. Not only is that fun, but it gives you a sense of hope for good times ahead, which, if you are in a period of financial stress, it's very important to help you keep on fighting. But on a subtler level, it creates closeness and emotional intimacy to plan something together, even if it is something very small, even just the hint of it. Next month, we should think about having a holiday party. Next summer, we should go to the beach. Underneath these lighthearted remarks is a deeper suggestion. We should be together next month. We should be together next summer. That's powerful magic there. You're saying, I want to be with you, and I'm imagining a future with us together, and we are so happy in my vision. So often, non-monogamous relationships are limited by a certain lack of imagination. What's that saying? You have to see it before you can be it? We are the early pioneers of this lifestyle, and we don't have the role models in front of us to show us the way. We are the role models for those who come after us. So, taking advantage of the magic of thrift shops to open up your mind to a brighter future is, in some sense, not merely fun for you, but also a service to your community. How you like me now? If you or your honey are big fans of art, then a museum is a good cheap date. And before you go scrunching up your face and saying, oh, that's a boring idea, 
I'm just here to tell you that you ought to give it another look. In Manhattan, Kathy and I went to the Museum of Sex. John and I spent a long afternoon looking at an exhibit of historical weaponry. What can I say about that other than rich people do love them some guns? Someday when I go to Iceland, I shall certainly visit the famous penis museum there. Museums have all kinds of stuff, so don't be too quick to exit off your list. At a museum, you move quietly within your own little bubble of intimacy. You and your sweetie can walk together from painting to painting, and at each one you pause and stand close together. You lean your heads together and murmur quietly to each other about the painting. You get a glimpse of how the other person's mind works and a hint of their sense of humor. Also, I don't know why, but being in settings where you have to act with great self-control always makes a bit of wildness begin to bubble up. That's why you have funeral giggles or church giggles, but not really national park giggles. You might be surprised to see the naughty side of your sweetie appear amidst those quiet exhibits. Like the picnic date, the museum date can take as long as you like. Most museums are scrupulous about handicap access and have good parking. They have air conditioning too, which is an important consideration if you don't like sweating. Now, what if you don't have any transportation at all? Can't even afford an Uber this month. Now what? It's time to invite your sweetie over to your place. Now, you might have some obstacles here and it's worth it to work through them. One, if you're sharing your place with housemates. This is pretty common. Although one might wish for privacy, you'll just have to invest your mindset in this case. Look at it this way. You're already choosing polyamory. Accept this communal or familial situation. It's a chance to learn about your sweetie, really. You can see how they interact with people. My friend Alex was just saying to me that he used to date a woman who was nice to him but awful to everyone else. And that, of course, this did not work out in the end. Second issue, you don't know how to cook. This is actually a secret advantage. Invite your sweetie over and say, I don't know how to cook. Would you help me learn? What should we cook? Good choices will include things like spaghetti, pancakes and eggs, grilled cheese, hot dogs, burgers, really anything simple. Your options here will be influenced by the experience of your partner. I've been cooking for 20 years longer than Isaiah, so I'm ready to assist with any level recipe, and he is quite adventurous. He has discovered candy recipes. This weekend, we are attempting watermelon lime flavor licorice whips. I realize that looking like a jerk who can't cook is a challenging starting point, emotionally speaking. Because you want to look all perfect and sparkly and impressive, not like an ignorant baby. Mm. But again, it's a secret advantage. When you ask for help to learn to cook, you're showing some very good things about yourself. You're showing that you are curious and willing to try new things and that you are secure enough to accept help and feedback. You're showing that you are willing to not look perfect all the time and don't mind revealing a little vulnerability. You're showing that you are happy to be in the kitchen and that you're interested in taking care of your partner. These are all good, good things 
things that I actively look for. Also, how do I say this delicately? For a surprisingly large number of people, the chance to boss their sweetie around a little bit is a real turn on. And guess what? The bedroom is right there, not 30 minutes away. Or, if we want to look at this aspect in a less naughty way, then let's say that many people, especially people with a softer streak, who depend on their partners to be well-behaved, are watching to see if you can participate in any activity without being too bossy, too arrogant, or dismissive, scornful, all that. Can you laugh at yourself? Is it okay if I laugh at you a little bit? Are you paying attention when I speak to you? Do you actually want to learn to cook this dish? Are you working at it or are you just kind of hanging out while I do all the work? The Zen teachers tell us that the way we do one thing is the way we do everything. The way you participate in learning how to cook a meal with your partner shows many, many aspects of your character. So, in many ways, staying home to cook is actually an improvement over going out. The varied nature of the activities and the relaxed time frame mean that you have plenty of room to stretch out and let your light shine. In a restaurant, by contrast, the whole thing is much more regimented. You can't attentively jump up to get your data fresh napkin or turn the music down or offer to wash the dishes. You just have to sit there doing your best to not get spaghetti on yourself. Let's hope you look good because that's about all you get. So if you want to get all theoretical about it for a moment, this capitalist model of dating where you go out and acquire commodities also reduces you to a commodity. You're only here to spend money, and that's how you show how great you are. You yourself have little value aside from the money you have and the associated status and power it confers. The action is reserved for others while you are merely consuming. You are alienated from the means of production. And in fact, like all aspects of capitalism, this model of dating only reinforces the divide between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. Those with less money are corralled into wanting more, mostly only so they can spend it and thereby fuel the great machine. Their pain and discomfort serve to fuel their efforts to become better capitalists. Those with more money double down on the idea that spending money is a way of showing their personal value, conflating financial worth with human spiritual worth. We see this mindset reflected in the philosophies coming out of the manosphere, a whole big chain of ideas about the transactional nature of dating. Pigeonholing the process of seeking love into a mold of buying and selling is just the ultimate in late-stage capitalism, isn't it? Even our most tender emotions are now crushed into the vast system of transactional actions. What's more, regarding dating with a transactional lens leads to deeper issues which may be broadly categorized as entitlement issues, such as, I spent $200 on this dinner, so you owe me a blowjob. This road leads right into a very rough neighborhood full of behavior that turns out to be criminal and definitely nothing that we never, ever, ever want to get into. Against this backdrop, learning to cook a meal together 
is not merely enjoyable, it is also a fine act of political resistance. This concept of small-scale resistance is something I picked up from the old-school second-wave feminists who used the phrase, the personal is political. Cooking a meal together is really the least radical thing ever. And yet, from this perspective, it can actually be regarded as an act of refusing to be a commodity in the great machine. Strike a blow for freedom, comrades. Make some spaghetti together. But I digress. In short, I strongly recommend having a date where you teach each other how to cook things and then eat them together. For maximum points, be sure to clean up together afterwards. Messy people appreciate the help, and tidy people appreciate it even more, almost on a spiritual level. When you help that person clean up, it's magical. You're showing them that you understand and support their need to have a clean place, and that you are capable of sustaining that lifestyle. You made a meal. You cleaned up together. At this point, you're really golden. If you can just steer clear of idiotic political remarks and other self-destroying type things, you should be able to level up at this point. Last potential roadblock there. Your place is a filthy mess. This is sadly common, honestly. The best option here is to just clean it up yourself. You're a grown-up, and maybe it is time for you to get a grip on that kind of thing. But I recognize and fully understand that sometimes it is simply not possible for you. Maybe you are a spoonie. Maybe you have ability issues. Maybe you just never learned how to do it. True story, my mom usually cleans the bathroom while she's in there getting ready to take a shower. So she closes the door and no one actually sees her cleaning. I, being an idiot, never understood this and I actually thought that the bathroom just stayed clean naturally. Or maybe that magical cleaning fairies took care of it whilst we slept. When I left home and got my own place, I was dismayed to see how quickly my bathroom got nasty. Turns out, no magical fairies. I had to clean it myself. This was a heartbreaking realization. <laughs> now, it's true that a filthy place can be a turnoff. But I think that asking for help is once again a secret advantage. It's the Benjamin Franklin effect. When people do things to help you, they like you better. Don't ask them to clean. Ask them to help you clean. This means you will have to clean too. But this is good. Trust me, your sweetie will enjoy seeing you clean. It's a good look on pretty much anyone. And you are showing them that you can be humble. Nobody thinks of humility as being a sexy trait. But you know what's not sexy? Arrogance. That's ugly or even scary at times. Humility is very attractive. Seeing your date be humble tells you that maybe down the road a bit, they might be able to apologize if they hurt you or admit that they were wrong and all kinds of great stuff like that. And of course, after the cleaning is done, you get to say things like, oh, this place looks so good now. I really appreciate your help. Thank you so much. And that is basically the best thing that anyone ever gets to hear. So be wise and let your praise and thanks flow freely. And then, after all that warm happiness, you still get to cook a meal together. Really, you can hardly lose with this option. 
If you don't need any help with cleaning, but you still want to get these fabulous benefits, you could try asking your sweetie for help with yard work. Uh, having a yard is a bit of privilege, though, isn't it? If you don't have a yard to clean, then many, maybe any sort of fixing around the place is just as good. All right, let's, let's recap it a bit. What is the traditional capitalist approach to dating? The prospective partner must be impressed. It is my job to impress them with how great I am. I can show how great I am by showing how much money, power, and status I have. The prospective partner is a commodity I wish to possess, and I myself become a commodity to be advertised. It's very gendered. It's very much all about privilege. And in fact, your privilege is your selling point. And more to the point, it's awful for people who are not currently winning at the capitalism game. Taking this capitalist model of dating too seriously can give you toxic ideas about the transactional nature of dating and relationships that will set you on the path straight to being a total troll. I did not set out to create an episode that is a rant about capitalism. But here we are. So I am offering a less transactional, less status-based approach to dating, one where you are showcasing your own humanity as your selling point and trying to catch a glimpse of the prospective partner's humanity in return. As we have looked at this model of dating, we have seen that approaching dating as low expenditure or even totally free endeavor has some really good benefits for you. I think that even if you have the money for traditional dating, you might consider trying low cash dating simply for the overall benefits. You need to save your cash anyway, since like all polyamorous people, you are hoping to invest in property to share with your large and flourishing polycule in a beautiful future. And on that note, thank you for listening. Have you got some good ideas for cheap dates? I want to hear from you. Please get in touch with me at unlimitedheartcoaching at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at unlimitedheartfreedom. Drop me a DM. I will answer. If you prefer to consume my content in written format, click on over to my website on WordPress. I'm trying to put up the scripts for these podcasts on a regular schedule now. Plus, there's pics. The link is included in the show notes. As always, I am available for coaching sessions. And if you feel you could use some help, get in touch with me for a free exploratory session. I appreciate you all so very much, and I'll see you back here in a couple of weeks.